Fear stops us from achieving our true greatness. Are you a professional woman who is feeling stuck, unmotivated, or burned out? Are you worried about your wellness? Are you letting fear stop you from crushing your goals? If you answered yes to any or all of these, then this is the podcast for you. Dr. Charmaine Gregory, night shift emergency physician, burnout thriver, and wellness champion, along with everyday heroes just like you, will explore how to face fear in our lives and emerge victoriously. Are you on Clubhouse? This is Dr. G. I am too. You know what? You can find me at Charmaine Gregory or you can put in at Podcasting MD. See you there. Hello, 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 Fearless Freedom Tribe. It is Dr. G, and we are back for another exciting episode talking about fear, getting all of the nuggets from people just like you. Okay. And today we have an amazing guest. It is Danny. Brussel, and he is going to tell you all about himself and all the things that he's up to, because it's a lot. So go ahead and take it away, Danny. Thanks for having me, Charmaine. Thanks for all you do. You're an inspiration. And uh, basically, uh, for the last 25 plus years, I've been an educator. I've been a, a tutor, a, a, a K-12 teacher. I've taught all age levels from preschoolers to rocket scientists. Uh, I've been a professor, researcher. Uh, I've spoken around the world to over 3,500 audiences on, uh, on motivation, communication skills, leadership. Uh, but really, my passion is for reading and getting uh, people to love reading. Uh, I'm the co-founder of the world's leading reading engagement program, which basically is designed for parents who, uh, you know, I always tell parents that schools, most schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they like it so much. I think that's the, that's the point of view that people have to take is how do we, we make it so kids are choosing to do it on their own. And uh, I, I love what you're doing with fear because uh, I see fearful people around me every single day and they need to open up their minds. And uh, one of the ways to do that is to uh, read great books and listen to great podcasts like this one, Charmaine. Oh my gosh. Yes. So you know what? That is amazing because let me tell you, I appreciate what you do because, so I don't know if you know this, but we homeschool our children. We've homeschooled them from the very beginning. And um, yes, that was something that uh, the reading thing actually happened accidentally. Well, maybe not so much accidentally, but like we would read to them so much that they just thought that that was the thing to do. And so they would just go and pick up a book and read it. So I am excited to hear what your methodology is, because that is something that I know that I have, you know, I have friends that have had difficulty with getting their children to want to read. Um, and with all the distractions, a lot of times I find that children are not choosing getting into a book and utilizing this. And I'm, for those who are listening, I'm pointing to my head, you know, point, you know, using the imagination as the amazing um, video screen or um, um, creator of what you are reading, translating that from what you're reading into something super powerful because, and this is what we do to our children. We say to them, you know, if there's a book that has an associated movie, we read the book first. Okay, we read the book first, and then we we come up with our own ideas about what the characters are going to be like, what kind of scenery there's going to be, and then we watch the movie. And so oftentimes what happens, I mean, with some exceptions, oftentimes what happens is they are actually disappointed in the movie because their imagination is so vivid that, you know, it's like, that's not what I pictured this character to be, or that's not what I thought the you know, this place would look like and, um, you know, turning it into almost like a little bit of a game has really um, made them excited about doing things like that, like reading the book first and watching a movie. So I'm curious to hear what you do to help, you know, help young ones be excited about reading and to actually want to opt to read over grabbing the iPad or grabbing, you know, or playing a game even, um, 
yeah. So yeah, you definitely got to tell us, tell us what you do. First of all, I want to clone you, Charmaine. You're doing a great job. I mean, I always tell parents that uh, children are made readers on the laps of their parents. And uh, uh, by, by reading aloud to your children and making uh, literacy important in your house, you don't realize those messages. Uh, most parents don't understand that, like it or not, uh, they have the world's greatest home field advantage in the history of the planet. You could oh, be yes. the worst parent ever. <laughs> But your your kids don't know it because to them, your mom or your dad and yeah. uh, they idolize you. And I always tell parents, you know, uh, uh, how do you expe expect your kids to be excited about reading if they don't if they never see you reading? Um, if kids don't see their parents reading in front of them, reading to them, uh, having books abundantly present in the home, then it's not going to be important to them. Uh, uh, there's a great cartoon I, I share in presentations where it shows uh, two moms with their kids next to them. And the one mom is on her cell phone uh, asking the mom who has the book how she gets her kid to, interested in reading. Uh, and mm. so the mom on the cell phone, her kid's on a cell phone and the, the kid that's uh, mom has a book is, is reading as well. I mean, kids aren't stupid. They don't, they don't see us reading. They're never going to be reading. And so uh, it's got to be a conscious effort. One of the strategies that you're using without even realizing it, which I think is fantastic, Charmaine, I always encourage parents to let the kids watch the movies. Uh, because that's exactly what I hear kids say all the time. Whenever a kid sees a movie based on the book, they're like, wow, the movie's really good, but the book's a whole lot better because the kid is going through that experience of uh, picturing places and, and characters uh, from their own point of view. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of fascinating. I taught in the inner city uh, most of my career and uh, I would read aloud books to my students who were predominantly African-American and Latino and, um, it was fascinating how I could read a book, but by one of the things I'll do is I'll change names of characters or whatever to match, match my students' names. And they start picturing the characters based on their own experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's really important for kids to get a, a more global understanding of, uh, hey, you know, when they, finally they're starting to see it in, in children's literature. I'm starting to finally see this movement to really diversify characters. And by that, mm -hmm. I, I don't mean that books have to be about culture. I mean, it used to drive me nuts as a teacher. Almost every book about Mexican-American kids had to do with tamales. I'm like, oh, you dear know, Lord. It, yeah, if every <laughs> oh, dear book about white kids had to do with hot dogs, I'd, I'd jump off a cliff. You know, it doesn't have to be about culture to be cultural, but by having characters named Jose and Shaniqua and Lee, you're, you're diversifying the experiences of your students rather than just having Mary and, and Billy and things like that. It's just simple things, uh, uh, exposing kids to things like that, I think are really important. And, uh, you know, so what you're doing is great. There's, uh, I'll give you a couple of a little quick tips that I give parents, Charmaine. Uh, I have three children of mine. How many, how many kids do you have? We have three. Three, well done. Mm -hmm. Uh, people that should be breeding aren't breeding enough. So I'm glad that you're breeding. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have three. Oh, my, we're my youngest populating we're the world. <laughs> yeah. We're, my youngest, we're homeschooling as well. Um, and uh, I believe the television is here to stay. And I always tell parents, you know, we need to learn how to utilize the tools at our disposal. And so uh, there's two things I do with my own children. First of all, they can watch TV, they just know that the price of admission is they have to bring me something to read first. And so before they ever turn on that TV, they have to bring me either a, a book or a, a newspaper article or a magazine article. We'll read it together. And then they're more and more, more than welcome to, uh, to watch TV. That's fine. That's, that's the price of admission. And then the second tip that I always give parents is turn on the closed captioning on the television set. Oh, yes. Now, there's actually research on this. So I'll, I'll, I'll do parent trainings and parents will say, well, wait a sec. If the show's in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? I'm like, well, that's that's a good point, but I'll make a point. Uh, have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? That's very difficult for your brain to do. Your brain is geared towards that text. And there's actually research to support this. If you look at reading scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, what do you think happens to the reading scores? Do they go up or do they go down? They always go down in every single country except for one. The country that watches the most TV in the world also has the highest literacy scores in the world. It's Finland. And people ask me, well, how can that be, Danny? I'm like, well, it's because Finland makes really bad TV shows. 
And so they have to import all these old American shows like Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island. And then they have to have them subtitled and finished. The kids are reading all the time. And so uh, that's one of the easiest things I always tell parents to do is just turn on the closed captioning on the television. Lots of lots of research on this. Oh, my gosh. It's funny you should say that because we watch a lot of anime in our house. And so they do a lot of reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your kids sound like my kids. My kids are addicted to all Japanese anime. And, oh, my uh, God. They love it. They love it. Yeah. They love it so much. Which is fine. You know what? I, I'm sure my parents shook their heads at the stuff that I watched when I was a kid, which is it's fine. I, I mean, I think the most important thing for us as parents is uh, with anime, I watch it with the kids because I want to make sure there's nothing. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Because some of it can be kind of, uh, yeah. some of it can be kind of uh, crazy. Yeah. You know, and that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's what a good parent should be doing. It's just kind of, I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid, I really wanted to watch the A team. And my, oh my parents gosh, it was like the show. Oh, <laughs> my parents would not let me watch the A team. And finally they said, okay, we're going to watch it with you. And if, if it's all right, then we'll let you watch it from now on. And we watched it and they learned like, if you ever watch the show, The Eighteen, nobody ever dies on the show. There's no, no, nobody dies. Yeah, but nobody ever dies, and yes. so that my parents were like, "Okay, nobody died, so there's no cursing or anything." So no, they would no, allow yeah. me to watch The Eighteen, but they <laughs> monitored it. Oh, that's too funny! Oh my gosh, like <laughs> the Baracus. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh man, that's some good stuff. That's good stuff, man. Oh, I brought me back to the memory lane with the with the A team there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Well, this is the thing you need to know about me, Charmaine. So this is kind of my specialty is working with, so I always tell people struggling reluctant readers are my specialty. And just so yeah. you know, four out of five struggling reluctant readers are boys. Boys and girls are very different. Little girls will read books about little boys. Little boys have no interest reading books about little girls with a few sure. exceptions. Um, but there's some things you can do. And the reason I'm an expert on this is I hated reading when I was a kid. My father is a librarian and I always hated oh my the gosh. library growing up. <laughs> yeah. I always hated the library growing up. You know, every public library had uncomfortable furniture. It always smelled funny to me. There was always an elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always some freaky homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out by the shelves. I always hated the library. And it wasn't until, <laughs> so vivid. I, yeah, it, it wasn't until I started teaching in the hood and saw how, how a lot of my students didn't have a lot of the advantages I had when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I, it was a sobering moment for me, Charmaine. I was like, wow, shame on me. I mean, I took so much for granted growing up. I mean, both of my parents were happily married forever. Um, and so I had both parents in the home. We had mm -hmm. lots of reading materials in the home. Uh, both of my parents were constantly reading in front of me and reading to me. Um, and the only thing I wanted to read growing up was the TV guide because I had no interest in reading. And when I saw, wait a sec, I completely disregarded all these advantages I had, shame on me. And it really became some of, somewhat of a passion of mine, making sure that every kid has a, a, fair, a fair chance. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's very, a very interesting thing. Um, so I'm not... So I uh, have a very different experience because I am an immigrant. So I have, you know, um, my my story is a little different than most people's story um, that live in my skin. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, but it's like, uh, it's interesting that you say that because that is a, that's a huge deal. You know, like if you don't have the infrastructure, sometimes it's not as easy for you to, have the success that you should have, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Um, a lot of people think like, it doesn't matter where you come from, like you should be able to have success. Like it, that doesn't matter, but it, it does matter because if you don't have those things, like, you know, you know, my kids have us reading to them and they're like, you know, they're, they learn to read at very early age and you know, they're like reading at four and five and they're like, you know, reading these books that are advanced for their age. And so they understand things. They know about things. Um, you know, I was read to or very early. I read early, you know, so, but I had that available to me and you may have a situation where, and it, it 
you know, you're in a situation and the majority of the people who are in this particular situation, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're a person of color, but like, just if you're in a situation where you are not, you don't have access to the resources, you are already, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen that cartoon about um, equity versus equality, right? So you you have this fence. I hate that cartoon and I'll you tell you, I'll, I'll tell okay. you what, so, so for your audience, the, the cartoon, and I'm pretty sure this is what you're talking about is it shows the three kids trying to look at the game. Is that the one? Yes. And they're about? on, and they're on, um, they're trying to look over the fence and they're different heights and you have, um, you know, you have the same, they're different heights, but you have the same box, the same height box that they're given to assist them to look over the fence. And, obviously the person who is still too short after they have this box still cannot see over the fence. Um, so, you know, the, the thought is that if you give something, somebody the same thing, you know, they're, then they're able to have the same starting point, but that's not necessarily true because you have other factors that are going to be playing a role that would potentially hinder your progress. So yeah, I'm interested, exactly. interested to hear like what, what your thoughts are on that, because um, I can see that though, because if you are in a situation where, and for the, in the case of African-Americans, right? Like this is like, this has been what, 400 years plus, plus, yeah. plus of like yeah. disadvantage, right? I mean, and so, and, and so for people who are African-American, they literally have, they literally have to overcome an obstacle of just being in the skin that they're born in and then, and then succeed. Right. So it's like, you know, you're, you're not in a situation where, um, you know, you have an advantage at birth. And so you're already behind. And if you don't have infrastructure or if you don't have the grit or the resilience or the, that in you, that drive in you, then overcoming that initial obstacle is challenging. And some people, you know, and, and this is just human nature. Some people just, you know, they just say, Oh, whatever. And they just give up and then they just let it ride. And they just like assimilate into the path that is predictable for them. Whereas others find ways around and, and then others just, you know, just exist and they don't even, they don't strive for anything more. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, I'd be interested to see well, what you say about yeah, that cartoon so the, then. So because- for, the, for the benefit of your audience, the, the cartoon you're talking about is equity versus equality. And so for equality, so it shows three boys of color looking over a fence to watch a, a ball game. And when it shows equality, each boy is a different, a different height and they give every boy the same size box. So it's right. equal, but it's not fair. And so the point for equity is they give different sizes boxes based on the kid's height so that all of them have the same opportunity to watch the game. The reason I've always hated that cartoon is that's still not equity. Equity is getting to play the game. You know, they're okay, still just yeah, watching. I see, I see that. Yeah, they're still outside the stadium. It, yeah. And I, I mean, and it's it's something that I'm I'm so more attuned to now, Charmaine. It's it's kind of pathetic. Um <laughs> You know, I've worked in the inner city for many years, and I, I, I always thought, oh, a lot of these things are blown out of proportion. And then the George Floyd thing happened. <laughs> and I've been apologizing to every single one of my African-American friends. I'm like, my gosh, I, I mean, this is on video. What's happening that's not on video? I mean, they show all these videos oh, yeah. of things, and I'm oh, like, yeah. and still nothing's happening to people. And I'm like, I thought, this is just Danny's I, I grew up in the rainbow colored glasses. I thought we were so beyond this, Charmaine. And it's despicable to me that we still have to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. It's so important. This is why I love about your podcast. We need this conversation. I thought we were well beyond this. And I'm like, wow, people still believe this. And another thing that you were talking about, about that grid or whatever, the other thing that's really important is having that person of believing you. So when I was a teacher, mm-hmm. I always told the kids, hey, you know, sometimes you need somebody else to believe in you before you believe in yourself. I believe in all of you. They only give me the best and the brightest. And that's why all of you are going to make a difference on this planet. I mean, I believe that every single day. But my wife is from Singapore. And my wife grew up in an environment that was so negative her entire life, people telling her what she couldn't do. Mm. And I, I, I compare that to my life. 
I have a, a picture of me when I was four years old and I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing um, a space boots, a San Diego Chargers football jersey, a sheriff's badge and a fireman's helmet because I was going to be the first ever astronaut, professional football player, police officer and firefighter. Nice. That's the world. That's the world I grew up in. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that I could do that. My, my wife, one of the reasons she said she adores me is one day I told her, I'm like, you know what? I decided I'm not going to run for president of the United States someday. I, I decided I'm not going to do that. And she laughed and she's like, you know what I love about you, Danny, is that you thought you could. Wow. Mm. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, it's, that's truth, though. I mean, it's like, you know, up, it, until, it, it, up until a few years ago, like that wasn't even a possibility for a lot of people. I mean, well, people, have that, that, people have tried. People have tried. You know, you know, I, I mean, I Jackson tell back in the day and there's others that have tried, but Shirley Chisholm. But I mean, it's like, you know, it was never truly a reality. So I, I hear you. And, no, and that mean, perspective had... is, is something that a lot of people don't understand. You know, the fact that you I mean, you had this ability like there was not a there was not a. um, there, Yeah, exactly. All the possibilities were in front of you. Like you never thought, oh, my gosh, there's something I cannot accomplish or cannot have access to whereas she's thinking you know she's trying to do something and i don't know what she does exactly but maybe she wants to be a scientist maybe she wants to be um a teacher or something and she's there being told oh no you can't do that and that's not that's like that's a huge deal that's a huge obstacle to get over and then be successful I was speaking before the pandemic. I spoke at a, an all-girls school in Chennai, India, 5,000 girls. And uh, these two seniors come up to me, beautiful girls. One wants to be a doctor. The other one wants to be a, an attorney. I said, that's great. Are you going to go to university here in India? Or maybe you'll go to Great Britain or the United States? And they said, oh, we're girls. We can't leave India. I said, get back in that auditorium. I got back in and I looked at them. I'm like, now is your moment, ladies. Within the next five years, India is going to be the largest country on the planet in terms of population. Oh, yeah. Like you're a very young democracy. You're just over 70 years old, yet you've already elected a woman prime minister. America mm -hmm. still hasn't elected a woman president. I'm like, right now, there are twice as many women in India as there are people in the United States. There are actually more women in India with a graduate degree than there are people in the United States. And I just told them, I'm like, you just made it my mission in life. Every single one of you, whatever you want to be, whether it's the CEO of a company or a, a, a pre president or a really good uh, parent, you know, I don't ever want you thinking you can't do those things. And that's why, what, why I admire you, Charmaine, no matter what I say to a kid, you know, I'm a white guy. But think about that little African-American girl who's like, I, I don't know if I could be a doctor, but then she sees Charmaine Gregory. She's like, well, wait a sec. She did it. She looks like me. I mean, I think that's so powerful. I think it gets me really excited to think about that. And she, I mean, I had a kid uh, when I was teaching fifth grade, this is 30 years ago. I had a, one of my fifth graders is like, uh, hey, Miss Purcell, my mama says the reason they call it the White House is because you got to be white to live there. And today I wow. could say- Today, I could Not say necessarily. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, I could say you could be black or orange, you know, it's all right. There's oh, dear. All <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these are truths. Oh, my God. Uh <laughs> we won't go off on that tangent. No, 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 let's not. Let's not. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, 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 the, the thing that I'm trying to do most of the time is I think the world needs more inspiration. I was watching a horrible TV show the other night called um, The News, and it put me in a foul mood. And oh, no. uh, I always tell people, I'm like, you got to turn off the TV news and read something that inspires you. So I, I'm constantly reading biographies. I'm reading uh, I'm reading inspirational stories to my kids. When I was a middle school teacher, I was the only teacher at my school to have no tardy students. And the reason was because I always started class with a Paul Harvey story. Uh, oh. I don't know if you remember Paul Harvey. When I was a kid growing up at 12, 15, he'd be on the radio every day. He's like, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. And he'd tell you this story and you're trying to figure out who it is. And my kids loved it. They're always like sitting there, who is this? And uh, like, like nowadays, there's a great podcast by Mike Rowe, the guy that used to host the show Dirty Jobs uh, called oh, okay. The Way I Heard It. Mm -hmm. And it's the same type of it. It's an homage to Paul Harvey, but with updated stories. Um, the book I just wrote, this book, Leadership Begins with Motivation, this was all, this is filled with those types of little stories to inspire kids. But this was a good 
this was actually a good training exercise for me, Charmaine. When I wrote this book, after I was done with it, I was reading it to a class and I realized, oh my gosh, most of the stories I have in this book are of Americans, of white people, and of mostly men. Uh -oh. I did that subconsciously and I'm like, wow. And I, so the book I'm writing right now is filled with mostly international stories, women and minorities. Cause I'm like, no, people have to hear more than, you know, Steve Jobs was, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is very successful and everything, but uh, kids need to hear about, uh, you know, well, let's, let's hear more about, um, like you mentioned somebody I think is an incredible person, Shirley Chisholm. I mean, like, oh, yeah. that's a great oh, yeah. person to uh, read about, uh, you know, when I was a speaker, I'm a speaker also, but when I was starting as a speaker, one of the people that I watched to learn how to be a good speaker was uh, Congresswoman Barbara Jordan from Texas. Oh, yeah. She's one of the most yeah, eloquent speakers I've ever heard. Um, and again, I tell people, don't look at the politics, just look at the speaking, just how, how a person's able to convey a message. Um, you know, so I, I, but I think kids need to hear those stories and, you know, little girls need to hear about, they need to hear about the boys. I know they're hearing about the boys, but they also need to hear about the girls. Um, you know, <laughs> I once had a mom tell me, uh, uh, she's like, I don't need you to teach my kid how to be black. And she was actually right. And the, what she was telling, saying was because since I had mostly African-American Latino kids, I made sure to have lots of stories representing Latinos and African-Americans. And I realized, wait a sec, she's right. That's part of my job. The other part of my job is to expose my kids to other cultures that they might not be familiar with. Absolutely. And, and that's something that I get excited about and you know that's why you know I, I went living in Los Angeles I love Los Angeles because you can go around the world in 80 minutes I mean like yes I, I, I think we're stronger <laughs> to have all that diversity in those cultures it's something we should be whenever in in America when we're trying talking about nationalized education I'm like I have a major problem with that I don't think Wisconsin needs to look like California you know mm. I think the strength of our country is that we all are different. I mean, if we were all the same, you're a doctor. If we were all the same, the pandemic would wipe us all out. But fortunately, yeah. we're not all the same. Um, <laughs> and I love the fact that not everybody loves chocolate. It means there's more for me. You know, I know, right? <laughs> Even in my history. own house, I feel the same way because one of our kids doesn't <laughs> like chocolate. <laughs> oh, man. No, that's that's very true. You know, it's, it's funny you should say that, too, because... Um, the whole thing with books, you know, so if you're talking about, um, you know, people in inner city, like a lot of times, you know, when you're living in the inner city, you don't may not have the resources to go take a trip to somewhere, right? Maybe even not even the resources to take a trip to the next state, right? Yeah. Or even to take, uh, you know, get on an airplane and travel and go on vacation in Mexico or, you know, in the Caribbean or in um, Canada or something. And so reading a book takes you there. You can literally go anywhere in the world by reading a book. And so I think that a lot of times we don't realize that uh, you know, like maybe a child might not realize that or the parents might not even realize that. And so they don't offer that option to their people, to their, you know, to their little people. And so then, you know, they don't get that experience. And it is such a thing that is, um, that is so eye-opening. So, you know, saying that my perspective is a little different because I, you know, I understand what it's like to live someplace else other than the United States. And so, you know, my perspective when I am interacting and when I am in a situation where, you know, I am um, different from everybody else, like I am okay with that because I can, I can, I can maneuver that situation because I know that everybody is essentially wanting the same things, no matter what language they speak, no matter what their skin looks like, no matter what their culture is, we all want the same things. And that's essentially to be able to contribute to our communities, to love and to, um, to be loved. Right. And so we all want the same things. We just present ourselves in different ways. And, you know, if you're able to come out of that small space and not be parochial, right. And you end up, end up being, uh, able to see more of a wider vision of humanity, then you tend not to have some of the issues that we have, right. You tend not to be racist or you tend not to be, um, you know, close-minded you, you tend to be more willing to contribute 
to the betterment of those around you, right? Because now you're like, oh yeah, you, you, you like football too. Like, man, I never thought that somebody who was Chinese would like football. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just those kinds of things. That's right. And we have the advantage of being able to go to those places and directly seeing it. But if you don't have that resource, then you can just open a book and get that, which I think is amazingly powerful. Yeah, the government has this wonderful program, I tell people. They got these buildings in almost every community. And if you go into these buildings, they got these rows and rows of books. And uh, for absolutely free, you can apply for this card and they'll let you take the books home for free. They're called public libraries. Yes. <laughs> and it's exactly what you were saying, Charmaine. I mean, uh, a lot of people don't realize that Jules Verne, who wrote the book Around the World in 80 Days, never left France his entire life. So he wrote that book without ever leaving France. And uh, there was a woman by the name of Nellie Bly, who was an investigative journalist. And uh, she, she pitched her, uh, the publisher of her newspaper at the New York World, uh, if, if she could try and go around the world in 80 days. And her publisher, his name was Joseph Pulitzer. And mm -hmm. he thought, oh. the first, first thing he said is, it can't be done, Nellie Bly. But he thought, oh, this will be a good PR stunt. And so he sent her on her way to go around the world in 80 days. And Nellie Bly failed to go around the world in 80 days. She did it in 72 days. And oh, one of the first stops she made was to visit Jules Verne in France. And not only was he delighted that somebody was trying to do it, but he thought it was just great that it was a woman that was going to do it. And so uh, that, those are the types of stories kids need to hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, no, that's uh, a <laughs> yeah. fact of the day for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh, so we have had a fantastic conversation, but we did not talk about fear. So we need to talk about that. Um, did you have any uh, fear when you're making any of these transitions? So um, we could talk about whatever transition you want. So whether it's, you know, when you first started teaching, whether it's when you um, wrote your wrote your first book, I, I don't know what you're going to choose, but you know, was there any time when you felt like, oh my goodness, I don't know about this. I'm fearful. Yeah, I was thinking about that, uh, having listened to your podcast before and, and the focus on fear, Charmaine. And it gets down to, uh, I was, I'm, a, I'm a visiting distinguished professor at the American University in Cairo in Egypt. And uh, uh, I'd spoken at this event and uh, this little boy came up to me and uh, he's very shy. And he, he, uh, he said that, uh, you know, he doesn't do very well in school and he makes a lot of mistakes and how can he achieve? And I told him, I said, well, when I was his age, uh, all the teachers and all the other kids called me stupid because I stuttered. And uh, uh, I said, isn't it interesting that many years later, I get to travel all around the world, make a lot of money, getting paid to do what? To speak. Mm. And so I, I told him, I'm like, don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. And it's one of the things I always try to tell to my students, you know, you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable is uh, everything's impossible until it's not. Right. You know? And no, uh, sometimes we just need that person to, to push us. And uh, that's why I teach. This is what gets me excited, Charmaine. I mean, hopefully it's what excites you about the podcast is you have no idea. There might be some little girl in Nigeria right now listening to this podcast and you, you were the one that inspired her. I mean, that's why you teach. I'm like, man, yeah. if I could have somebody come back to me, you know, my reading engagement program, one of my business partners was asking me, what's your goal? And I'm like, oh, I want a Nobel Prize winner to go through our program and say, oh, you were the one that got me hooked on reading. And this is when I learned how to do this and this and this. I mean, that's if you're going to dream, you might as well dream big. No, I love it. I love it. I think that's great. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Now that's awesome. So you mentioned, oh, so now see, I really love that you mentioned that, that you um, had difficulty when you were younger with stuttering. Mm -hmm. yep. So that means that you had to have fear when you went about starting to speak in public. Yeah. Yeah. How did you deal with that? How did you overcome that? Yeah. So again, I was kind of blessed. Uh, my story is very similar to the story. If you've seen the movie, The King's Speech, where uh, I, I had all kinds of problems. I went to 18 different schools before I was in sixth grade. And uh, finally, I had a teacher and she started singing things to me and she'd let me sing the answers back. Uh, and I realized I didn't have my stutter when I sang. And I gradually 
lost my stutter and I became a swan. Oh, uh, look at that. But, it's great. Yeah, but I always <laughs> tell that to people is, you know, there's not a single, I love reading about successful people and I've never read that successful biography of the person that never had adversity. Oh, and that's true. Yeah. People have different types of adversity. I mean, maybe your adversity was the color of your skin. Maybe your adversity was your, the religion you practice. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe your diversity was, uh, you know, you grew up poor. Uh, all of us have that. And I, I always tell people, I'm like, well, what's going to be your crutch? Are you going to are you going to make this your excuse for the rest of your life? Or are you going to turn it into something that uh, will make you inspiring to other people? Um, your stories until you're underground, you know, your story hasn't ended. I mean, people, uh, people achieve it. I mean, I used to tell my kindergartners that I'm like, gosh, I hope to God this isn't the best year of your lives, kids. You know, I right. hope it's next year and the year after that, you know, uh, the windshield's a whole lot bigger than the rear view mirror. I mean, I played high school football with guys that still talk to me about when we played high school football. And I'm like, my gosh, you know, wow. that's to me. I mean, I was, <laughs> I, was speaking really good. A, I was speaking, I was speaking at an event and this woman was introduced as Miss America 1978. And I'm like, my gosh, like, mm. I mean, you're still your entire career is based on something you did 40 years. I mean, it, what, it wasn't 1978. Yeah. I don't want some right, angry right, letter right. from Miss America 1978. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I hope to God your entire life isn't built on something you did 40 years ago. It's something that right. you're, you're doing now and you're continuing to do. If you're not growing, you're dying a little bit every single day. That's what I love about reading. I, I'm constantly like... I just read a great book that inspired me to watch a couple of movies. I, I read uh, Phil Knight's biography on Nike called Shoe Dog, and it inspired me to read, watch some movies. And then uh, uh, now I'm reading um, American Caesar by William Manchester, which is a biography on uh, General MacArthur. Uh, I I really had no interest in General MacArthur, but he wrote. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how did you end up reading that? It was interesting. Well, so there's two things. First of all, my this is my claim to fame. My great grandfather uh, taught physical education at West Point at the U.S. Military Academy, and he taught General MacArthur how to swim when he was a cadet. So, oh uh, wow, I have okay, I had this great it. picture of my great grandfather, and and I still have some of the weights that he used. Um, but the reason I actually read the book was uh, William Manchester. He uh, wrote this great trilogy. Uh, about uh, Sir Winston Churchill, which was just phenomenal to me. Because um, when I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out how certain people think. Um, uh, there's, there's certain people in every century that just are, I'm like, where'd this person come from? Because Winston Churchill, <laughs> the more I read about him, I'm like, he might be the most important person of the 20th century. I think if it's not, yeah, if Winston Churchill's pretty much a fit, huge impact. All, yeah. I, I think I think we're all Nazis if it's if it's not for oh, Churchill. Yeah, I really I mean, do. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like you look at like a like a Martin Luther King Jr. or a, a Mahatma Gandhi mm -hmm. uh, or um, there's just these people where like I read Long Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela and the whole book I'm just looking at my wife I'm like where did this guy come from? Yeah. I mean, and how did he have the how did he have that that amount of resilience and that amount of drive to to accomplished what he accomplished. Yeah, it's amazing. You, everybody should read that book. I mean, here he is. When he becomes uh, the prime minister of, of South Africa, all the whites are freaking out. They're like, uh-oh, he's been in jail for 27 years. This is now comeuppance time. And so what does Mandela do? He, he creates the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, mm -hmm. which official government policy was anybody who had murdered anybody during apartheid, they just had to go up in front of the family, confess it, apologize and yeah. they were cleared then this is what I, this was a government it's, it's, policy it's phenomenal and it's phenomenal because it's a huge I, I, closure I, issue huge I, i'm just I'm, I'm in awe of this man i like it's the same thing as reading about gandhi where i'm like how did this guy exist this guy brought down the british empire without firing yeah. a shot how did yes. this guy do this um you, you read about this though. There's all these people that just, I love looking at where's this person coming from? Like, yeah. how are they? Like, I just read a, a biography on Elon Musk and it was fascinating because he really feels that his mission is to save the world, to save mankind. And one of my favorite anecdotes in the book was that uh, at SpaceX, some of his engineers were getting annoyed when they first met him because he'd always ask them all these questions. And they're like, man, what's he doing? Interviewing me to see if I'm qualified. But then the engineers started 
listening to the questions and the, they're like, the questions are becoming more and more sophisticated. They're like, oh my gosh, he's learning from us and he's learning it better than we know it. And he actually had advanced beyond his engineers that he was constant. I mean, the guy, even now he's running four major corporations and he still reads three books a day, you know? So I'm trying to, and that's what I'm always reading about is you give me the most successful people in the world, they're either reading or they're being read to. Like they're not, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And so I'm, I'm constantly like, oh, I'm, I'm inspired by people like that. Um, I don't know, that really excites me. Uh, uh, where do these people come from? You know, uh, but Mandela, you and I, I can talk about Mandela forever. After I read that book, Long Walk to Freedom is one of the most amazing things I've ever read. I'm like, I don't know how the, I mean, it's like reading the Bible. I'm like, where did Jesus come from? Right. <laughs> it's like Mandela's, he, he, he just, he understood the power of forgiveness. Oh yes. And yes, indeed. It's a nice well, thing. Well, he do. practiced forgiveness in his own situation. I Absolutely. mean, 27 I mean, years, right now, all the things, all the losses he had. I mean, he still believed in the humanity of his country and his countrymen, regardless of the, you know, of the, the brutality that was inflicted on some of, you know, on some of the population by others. And so he knew that that, that wasn't, that wasn't the true nature of people. So it's, it's, it's amazing. It absolutely yeah. is amazing. Absolutely. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a, that's a pretty good, it's pretty good. I mean, that's, a, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, I could, we could go into how that could be applicable in the United States. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, cause that's what it's, it's important. It's definitely important, Charmaine. I mean, my word for, my word for 2020 started off the year as vision, like everybody else. And then yeah. by the end of the year, my word was grace because all of us needed a lot of grace. Oh, and yeah. so my, my, my word for the year for 2021 has been humility because this past year has really taught me how little I really know and understand and uh, what's important and what's not important. And uh, I, I think it's really important that a lot more of us uh, stop jumping to conclusions and, and yelling at one another and start listening to one another. You don't have to agree with one. I, I don't tell people. You don't have they, to agree. No, absolutely I, I not. I agree. You don't have to agree. <laughs> no, you don't have to agree, but it's important to be respectful and to listen and to consider different points of view, because I've always had this ability that uh, quite often I'll be disagreeing with a person and I'll contemplate it for a little while. And, and I'll come back several days later. I'm like, you know what? You're right. That's a better way of doing it. Let's do it that way. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think when we can put our, egos at the side and uh, this not just America, but the rest of the world, what can we do to help people? I mean, this is the project I'm working on right now. Um, my reading engagement program, uh, we've, we've partnered with this uh, wonderful company called Cyber Smarties, which is basically this company that, uh, that teaches kids how to, so how to use social media in a positive way. So the moment a kid writes something negative, it won't let them send the message. And then it, it sends a video of me like teaching the kid how to do it in a positive way, how to be more positive. And uh, what we're finding is we're, getting, we're completely eliminating cyberbullying. Anybody that uses it, because we're, we're eliminating the problem before it ever exists. It's the same reason I try and get kids reading at an early age, because I'm like, if I can make reading fun before they get bogged down with, oh, you have to read this, you have to read that. I mean, I was just doing a, a, a podcast with a, a, a woman in Nigeria, and she was asking about the Nigerian school system and, and the problems behind it. And I said, well, one of the biggest problems in Nigerians, Nigeria's school system is it's based on the colonial model. I mean, there's a lot of these African countries that were colonized by the British or by the French, the Portuguese. And so they, they put their schooling. And so there's all these, there, you know, there's 200 million kids in Nigeria right now. They're being forced to read Charles Dickens and William Shakespeare and Jane Austen. And I think all three of those authors are fantastic and everybody should read them. But if you want to inspire a little Nigerian kid, maybe you should read to him Chinua Achebe. Oh uh, my gosh. Oh yes. yeah. Somebody's Nigerian. <laughs> so good. I mean, kids have an experience. I mean, when I was teaching, I, I taught in, um, in South Central Los Angeles in Compton and Watts. And so I'm supposed to teach my eighth grade boys uh, Macbeth and Hamlet, and they're not having any of that. And so fortunately, there's a wonderful author from that area named Walter Mosley has a great book called Always Outnumbered, Always Outgunned. So I read that to the guys. And then 
Now I start reading Hamlet and Macbeth and I'm like, you see this Hamlet and Macbeth. It's just like this. It's just, it's basically gang warfare and they're talking in a different way. And the guy's like, Oh man, this is how they talk. And I'm like, yeah, it's a weird way of talking. All of us are, are judged on the way we speak. This is their gangs. We got our gangs here in this book. And now the guys are like, Oh, I get it. But you got to make that connection. And I don't, I think, you know, I, I always tell people anybody can teach you know, but it takes a lot of hard work to be a good teacher. And it's, yes. it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> but got, the way you become a good teacher is you, you listen to every kid. And if you have 36 kids, you have 36 different types of learners in that classroom. I got to figure out, you know, what works with Charmaine might not work with Jose. That's yeah, just yeah. all there is to it. I, I got to figure out what it is. And that's what a good coach does. A good coach, you know, figures out what kind of players they have and figures out the strengths of each player and how they can complement one another. To me, if you pay attention a little bit, uh, so that's really my, I have, I have long answers to short questions of yours, Charmaine. So, I mean, really that's my big thing right now is a little bit of humility. Um, and that's what I love about books is I, I learn all the time things. I'm like, wow, I, I was completely wrong about this uh, reading about extraordinary people. No, absolutely. It's, 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 it's hugely a learning and process for, all, for everybody, you know, so that's, that's great. Thank you for bringing that to light. So you have to let everybody know. So you mentioned, so, you know, for those who are watching the video, they can see the book in the background, Leadership Begins with Motivation, but um, how can they get access to the book? And how can they get access to the program or if they want to have you come and speak in their communities or in their, um, you know, they want to have you come and speak, how can they access you? Wow, you're better than my pimp, Charmaine. Uh, this is great. <laughs> I know you had a pimp. Uh, I'll do something better because I want to serve your audience. If you can send all of your uh, listeners to freereadingtraining.com, again, freereadingtraining.com. I'm going to give everybody a complimentary copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. Now, that's a book I wrote it for a, uh, a school principal who didn't know how to engage his faculty. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. And so every week I give you a concept. I give you an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. Uh, plus, I'll also include a couple of digital trainings of some of the trainings I do with parents. Uh, uh, you know, it's not easy in 2021. I don't, I don't judge people because I realize, you know what, you have no idea what a person's going through. And uh, especially during the pandemic, when all of a sudden we had uh, millions of parents around the world uh, forced to involuntarily homeschool their kids and they have no yes. idea what to do. Yes. I wanted to just show some simple tricks of the trade. Uh, and so you'll get a couple of those. So if you go to freereadingtraining.com and then all my books are available on Amazon, um, you know, you can email me at dannybrucell.com if you want me to speak. My last name's really easy to remember how to spell. It's spelled like Braz Cell. No, I never took any grief over that as a child. Um, but really, <laughs> my, my mission right now is to really bring the joy back into education by, uh, by getting people excited about reading. Because the more excited you are to read, the more likely you are to read. And the more you read, the better you get, just like anything else. Thanks, Charmaine. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I think that's fantastic. And thank you for the offer. That is phenomenal. So I know that um, lots of people will be taking advantage of that. And so then that will help you to get to your goal <laughs> you mentioned earlier. Oh, my gosh. Maybe that might be the Nobel uh, lawyer laureate that uh, comes out of that, right? Well, so, I mean, think about it. This is what excites me about technology, Charmaine, is right now there's some poor kids somewhere on the planet might be barefoot on a dirt floor, but if that kid has a laptop and an internet connection, they have the exact same access as the president of Google. The world just got a whole lot smaller. You don't have to be in New York City to succeed anymore. And that gets me very excited about the possibilities here and in the future. Absolutely, no, no, it's true. A lot, a lot has changed for the positive, for sure. Awesome. So, you know, we, we've had a phenomenal conversation. Um, we've touched on so many different things that are pertinent and inspiring and absolutely great. And I am so honored to have you on the show. And I know that the tribe is loving what you are presenting and sharing. 
And so now we're at that point of the show where we do our tradition, which is filling in the blanks. Are you ready, Danny? You ready for uh -oh, the blanks? Jane Clifton Actor Studio. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Here we go. The first one is: If I am fearless, I will. Period. I will. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's, that's awesome. That's the first time I've gotten that one. So that's good. That's good. All right. And then the, the next one is to me, fearless freedom means. To me, fearless freedom means doing it, even though I know I'm going to fail. I mean, um, when I do trainings, I was with a corporate audience and I asked uh, the, the executives, what's the opposite of success? And they all said failure. I'm like, no, it's not. The opposite of success is not trying or quitting. You know, you got to you got to fail a lot. Yeah, I think people don't understand that often. <laughs> <laughs> they just think that, oh, you know, if you have reached a, a point of success that you just got there in one fell yeah. swoop, and that's so not the case. It's such a ridiculous, like, windy road with lots that's of right. falls. <laughs> I've never read a biography of a successful person that everything came automatic and they never screwed up. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, because we are all human. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And then the last one is... My battle cry is. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. Man, I listened to the podcast and I didn't, I don't remember that one. My battle cry is, um, God, you know, I guess my battle cry is uh, smile every day. <laughs> the world's a really, it can be a beautiful place if you if you open up your eyes to it, or it can be a totally dreary place. Uh, but if you smile and look at the good, you often find it. <laughs> there you go. I love that. It's great. I mean, there's so much power to that. I, I have to tell you because even if you're having a conversation with somebody who is being negative, and you smile, the words that come out of your mouth are going to placate that person, right? Yeah. Or are going to inspire that person. So that's very powerful, you know, if you're smiling. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh You're the goodness. doctor. You know the medical research on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I can't say that I know the actual medical research, but I'm sure there's been some psychological studies that have been there, done. There, there is some psychological research. research. There's research that shows just by biting on a pin and forcing yourself to smile, it actually creates endorphins. Um, there's research on that. That's fascinating. Well, that makes sense. That makes total uh, sense. Uh -huh. <laughs> You can, you can trick your brain into being happy. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Awesome. So thank you for being on the show. And I, I know you're going to have huge success. Um, you've already had huge success already. And um, looking forward to hearing you tell the story of your first Nobel Prize winner who went through your program. Thank you, Charmaine. Thanks for all you do. You inspire me. But more, more importantly, you're inspiring a lot of little girls and little boys out there. Thank you.